Hello, everybody. Welcome to 321 No Kidding. Bobby the Awesome here, and today I am joined by Miss Sarah Ting. Welcome to 321, Sarah. Thank you so much, Bobby, for having me. I'm pretty excited. You got me all jazzed up before I even press the record button. So um, the reason why I think that you are an amazing person for my audience is you have expertise in a few things that translate not just from the work world, but to our personal identities, which was the last topic we were just on. So maybe we start there and it'll help everybody make sense. Um, But first do an introduction. Who are you? Where are you from? Sure. So my name is Sarah Ting. I'm a diversity inclusion educator, trainer, a TEDx speaker, founded World Unique in 1994, wrote three books. I'm a first-generation Chinese-American born in America. Both my parents were born in China, and they were newlyweds when they came to America. And my father at the time was a diplomat representing the nationalist Chinese government. What changed the destiny of my life, Bobby, was my father, he was asked to go back to, well, the the government had to move to Taiwan because Mao Zedong took over mainland China. It was during the Cultural Revolution. So my father and mother had to make a decision. Do they take their children who now, I think I was about 12 years old at the time. I was one of four at the time. Do they take their children back to China? None of us knew a word of Chinese. Oh, wow. So they realized that maybe this would not be a good idea. And so my father basically gave up his career in the diplomatic corps, started all over again with four children to raise. And that one decision changed the destiny of my life. Because if he had decided to go back, I probably wouldn't be here talking to you, Bobby. Right, right. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. So you, you've you expressed, so there's there's Sarah the Chinese and there's Sarah the American, right? Um, and, and how about we elaborate on that to kick us off? Because you have some really interesting things to say. Well, I grew up at a time in America, Bobby, when the U.S. population was 152 million. And the Asian-American population was a little bit over 330,000. So as you can imagine, I was the only one pretty much wherever I went because we really never lived in a Chinatown. We always lived in a community that was predominantly white. So in elementary school, out of 600 students, my sister and I were it for Asian girls. And there was one little Asian boy. And so I do know what it feels like to be the only one. And when I wrote my uh, book, The Key to a Fulfilling Life, Self-Awareness, when I started to write that book, I thought it was going to be a book for recruiters, professional development, how to help them become aware of their unconscious biases so they wouldn't eliminate potential candidates because of their unconscious biases. But as I began to write the book, I realized, oh, wait a minute, self-awareness that kind of like applied to every aspect of my life, not just to workplace, every part of my life. And so I ended up turning the book into small book with a big idea, the key to a fulfilling life, 
self-awareness, which we all have. But some of us don't realize it. A lot of us don't realize it. I I told I shared with you that I did I didn't know what it was or how to have it uh, before my recovery journey, and one of the things that impresses me so much I have an eighteen year old niece and she gets it and she can call herself on it. it it's just amazing and I'm like how am I you know thirty years older and just figuring this stuff out um, so I'm kind of curious how did you I mean, we don't get taught by our parents. Maybe you did, you know, like this is self-awareness. So like what got you interested in that topic? So I think there were a couple of things going on for me that made me aware. I think one of it, I think one of the strengths of the Asian culture is called contemplation, reflection. Mm. Because in order to uh, develop your self-awareness, you have to be quiet. And you have to be willing to reflect and think and look at your actions, your thoughts and your feelings. And I'm going to say something that might surprise you. Uh, inside of all of us, the, there are two voices, I believe. There's what's called your divine voice that we all have. And the divine voice to me is the voice that really knows the right path for you. It can guide you to make the right choices and decisions. Now, this doesn't mean you're never going to face adversity. All it means is that it's the the divine voice that can navigate you and help you overcome whatever adversity you're, you're facing, if you listen to it. The other voice is the voice filled with fear, filled with jealousy, competition, it's kind of the darker side of life. Mm -hmm. So at a very young age, I, for whatever reason, was in touch with my divine voice, but I never identified it as the divine voice. I just always heard it and listened to it. So I was one of these people who did kind of follow the beat of my own drum. Mm -hmm. So I didn't let society dictate to me what you should or should not do. So, for example, when I bought my home, I bought it at a time when it was unheard of. You don't buy a home if you're not married yet. You buy it when you're married. Uh, well, I didn't listen to that. I said, no, if I can do this, I'm going to do this right now. And I did. Uh, I was a TV journalist for 10 years. Now, the conventional path is you have to go to journalism school, which I didn't do. Second, if you want to enter the big market, Boston's a big market, you first have to start out at a little market, like a small town. I didn't do that either. <laughs> I just decided, no, I'm going to do it here. I just had to figure out, okay, what skills do I need to develop to hone my skills and let's do it. So I volunteered at a radio station for four years to do a, a talk show for four years. That led to a job at a cable TV station. So I got the radio, then I got the TV. And then I had the husband to start just reaching out to major radio stations to ask them, hey, could you hire me to do a talk show? Because I really knew how to listen. And what I found at the time, most radio shows, they were all about creating controversy, not doing what you're doing, Bobby, which is 
actually listening Mm -hmm. and wanting to bring out valuable information to your listeners. You're not trying to stoke the flame, create arguments, get everybody to dandruff up, which was the kind of talk shows that were going on back in the uh, 70s, 80s. Unfortunately, so I gave you a lot to <laughs> digest. Well, I that kind of struck a chord with me because I think that it's what charges people up. They're, they're, that's one of the addiction, right? Is addiction to that negativity and the drama and the chaos. I can't do chaos anymore. To me, a leaf blower is chaos or kids playing outside is chaos. I can't do it. Um, and I, it hurts my heart that people go out um, looking for arguments or I don't know. It gets attention. I get it. It gets attention. But it's, yeah, it's not my style. I bought a, I bought a shirt yesterday that's um, politically charged. It, it kind of is a souvenir. It's one of my mentors. And I was telling my mother, I said, I don't know that I'll wear it in public just because, you know, like I don't want to create arguments. Um, and, and Gamblers Anonymous, the, one of the questions is, um, do arguments, frustrations create the urge to gamble? That's part of how you self-identify as as a problem gambler. So if I know that arguments generate that, why would I go looking for arguments? So um, that's what you reminded me of. I love your story about getting into uh, radio and television without following the path. Like, who is it? Like, belonging is one of your topics and self-awareness. Those are two of your your babies. And it kind of cracks me up because for me, figuring out that I don't have to be like society and belong to their things is what actually gives me my sense of belonging. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, you're basically saying being who you are. We all, I I have a poem that's in my last book that I think you would really appreciate. It's called Being, B-E-I-N-G. It says, no one can tell the sun it's great, it just shines. No one can tell the rose it's beautiful, it just blooms. No one can tell the river to move, it just flows. And no one can tell you who you are except you. Oh, I do love that. You wrote that? Yeah, that's beautiful. Decades ago. And it's very poignant as well. So basically what I'm saying in the poem is that in each of us, there's the essence of who we are. And each of us has special gifts and talents. Our job is to put ourselves in the right working conditions that allow that beautiful essence of who you are to come forward. And to make sure you surround yourself with the right friends, friends who aren't jealous of you, friends who are not competing with you, Friends who are not trying to take you down, diminish you. And if you have a partner, to choose the right partner that supports who you are, respects you, and you support each other's goals. So these are choices all within our power. The only way we're going to be able to make those right choices is the awareness piece. Being aware. And when you talked about, you know, triggers, People looking for chaos. 
if a person is at peace with himself or herself, you don't look for turmoil. When a person is filled with unrest inside, turmoil, that's what triggers up the chaos. That's what triggers up the desire to go get because you're not at peace with yourself. You're in turmoil. Does that make sense? It, it, it does exactly. And you're taking me right where I wanted to ask you next is how, how does someone know? Like when I was gambling, I was going to the casino. I didn't know all the stuff until I did contemplation and reflection and dug into all of it once I was in recovery. Um, but how, if we're talking to someone who's maybe just curious, right? Like what is this self-awareness stuff or, um, what would you say to them, to someone who knows nothing about the topic? You and I have, have investigated it and have a little bit of context, but let's let's simplify it so that we get someone who's on their way to the casino, on their way to bet, betting on the phone, not even thinking about what's causing them to bet. They're just worried about the bet. How can we get this on their radar? Do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. And that's a great question, Bobby. I think Obviously, these these are things that the person has to have the first desire to do. So nothing's going to happen unless you first have the desire. So in other words, if the person is perfectly content doing what they're doing, it's probably going to really be hard to catch their attention. But if they realize, some part of them realizes, you know, this isn't good, but I don't know why I can't stop myself. So the first, that would be the first step. And then to to ask them a simple question to ask themselves, have you ever considered asking yourself, why do you gamble? I mean, it's as simple as that. To mm-hmm. ask yourself why. And if you say you don't know, well, that's where you have to begin to keep digging deeper. Until you answer that question, you're going to keep doing it. You have to ask yourself. And the answer is within the person. The key is they have to be willing to be honest with themselves and face themselves. And this is what I feel would help them. Nobody is a terrible human being. We've all got different flaws that we have to work on. Do not beat yourself up because maybe your flaw is gambling. Everybody has a different kind of flaw. People have an eating habit flaw. So I think that could help. Is Don't beat yourself up and say, oh, I'm a terrible person. Look at all this money I lost because beating yourself up isn't going to help you change. Does that make sense? It really does. And it's, it's so funny. We, I believe everybody's journey is different. Everybody's recovery is different, right? And having those ahas becomes different too at different paces. I I joke with my inner circle about, like, so yesterday was six years that I haven't gambled and reflecting on year one, it's almost like I thought I knew it all. Right. And then every year now it's, it's the, what am I going to learn? What did I think I knew that I don't know until the next thing happens? Um, it's kind of a game, a, like a good game, you know, to figure out, um, how to navigate life in better ways. Cause I still, don't handle things as gracefully as I would like to all the time. So. Yeah, and you know, Bobby, and that's okay. 
because like you said, we're all on a journey. That's true. We're all literally on a journey, a path. And I'm grateful that our paths have crossed because when we cross paths with another human being, it's up to us to decide, gee, am I meant to do something with this crossing here? Sometimes people, we meet them, they say one thing to us, and we didn't realize we were meant to hear that until they say it. Mm-hmm. They say it. So, for example, I, I do phone calls every day uh, because of the nature of my work, my organization. We're all, always um, looking for potential sponsors, so I do a lot of cold calls. And when I'm on the phone with people, I'm usually talking to the admin. And inevitably, the admin might say something like this, I'm only. And I stop them. I go, wait a minute. You're not an only. If you were on my team, I absolutely would value your thoughts. So please, you are not an only. Your voice counts, especially if your company is creating a culture of belonging and valuing different voices. Your voice absolutely does count. Many times, Bobby, I've had people tell me, you know what? I needed to hear that today. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what else I do, Bobby? When someone really, really listens to me in, in a genuine way, I say to them, now, I'm going to ask you to do something that nobody else has ever asked you to do. I'll probably be the first and the last. I say, now, please tell your superior you did the following. You did an excellent job taking the time to listen to the president of World Uni with an open mind and open heart. And I say, you can't say you did a very good job. You have to say excellent. (laughs) And don't just say you listen. You have to say you listen with an open mind and open heart because we are accomplishing two goals here. Number one, not only are we acknowledging you to your superiors, But it's an indirect way of reminding them to do the same for you and all of your colleagues. Take the time to listen to Bobby, to Samantha, to John, to Peter with an open mind and open heart. Because that is the first thing we do to make someone feel valued and a sense of belonging. Who is going to feel a sense of belonging and value if you don't want to listen to them? Oh, you're striking a chord right now, Miss Sarah. You're striking a chord. Um, this, this, exactly what you're talking about is the reason why I don't have the job that I was so in love with. I just left a week ago, but the owner wouldn't listen to me. Wouldn't even give me an opportunity to speak, not just listen to me. And I had to leave because of my my values. It was hurting my other people. If people didn't listen to me and I was representing my people, then it's hurting my people. Um, so what you're saying is very, very true. And I guess maybe I had a little divine voice most of my life too, that I just didn't know, um, was doing the right things because in the floral industry, when I worked in the stores, I would, I would be the floral manager or the assistant, right? Like, just like you're the president and you have other people and the part-time person who, you know, just wasn't getting 40 hours, but they were doing tasks. And they were taking care of customers and they were doing all the things. And they would say, I'm only a part-timer when somebody asked them for information. And I did the same thing. There's no only a part-timer. The president, the floral manager, the whoever, none of it works without the support of the team. So not only should they have a voice, like it's everybody else's success is contingent on that. And I think that's a very valid point. 
Oh, yes. And I think we underestimate and don't recognize how vital a role the people on the front lines play. play. Yeah. They, it, everything's interconnected. I agree. So speaking of interconnected, you gave me kind of a little pop quiz about identity and, and connection. Um, so I'm thinking, do I want to set the stage or do I want to have you um, get, how about you ask me the question the way you did off of air and, and we can take it from there. Okay, sure. So Bobby, you know, all of us have more than one identity. There's your race, your gender, your sexual orientation, your religion or non-religion. So of all the identities that we all have, you know, there are probably eight major ones that we all have. Which identity is inclusive of all of them? Well, I said me as a human being. Because everywhere I go. And actually, I had a light bulb go off when you were talking about that. I talk about my recovery very openly and a lot of the time. And it's it's only one of my identities. However, because of the human in the center, I think, I use so many of my recovery tools with my family relationships, with my work, with, you know, different things. So the point was really driven home. So do you want to expand on that a little? Sure. I mean, the reason why I bring it up, Bobby, is because, unfortunately, right now, um, the country is very divided. And there are many issues that divide us. And a lot of them have to do with our identity and what we attach ourselves to. So a lot of people attach themselves to an ideology. So that becomes an identity Mm. because you have, you know, Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, liberals, and people get attached to these identities, right? And especially to ideologies. And so what caused me to begin to ask this question was because of the divisions I see in our country and wanting to understand what's going on with our country, more importantly, with, with people. And I actually started with this other question that I've asking people, been asking people, which kind of led to why I asked you this question. The the question I've been asking people is, I state, okay, we all have these major identities, race, gender, sexual orientation, political, uh, religious or non-religion, human being, right, physically able or disabled. So they're the seven major identity so then i would ask this question so and then human being human being that's an identity so then i would ask this question which identity are you rooted in first so in other words when you wake up you go out and you start your day which identity are do you lead with oh that's that's a tough question um, I, so you didn't mention family, just to be clear, like you didn't say part of my identity might be a daughter or an aunt or whatever. Is that, is that in that you, mix? That, that could be a, Yeah. You could say the daughter identity, right? But which one do you lead with? So a human being is an identity. Now go remember what we said before, which identity is inclusive of all the identities. Yeah. I would, I would say human being would have to be first for sure. Yes. Yes. 
because we're not all mothers. We're not all fathers. We're not all black. We're not all white. We're not all Asian. But what we all are are human beings. So Mm -hmm. for me, Bobby, when I go out, I always tell my friends, it's an adventure. I never know who I'm going to meet. Look, I met you. It's an adventure. So, but what allows me to see that as an adventure is because I'm not afraid of people who don't look like me. I'm not afraid to talk to someone who doesn't look like me. And now that we live in this digital world where people email, texting, texting, email, I really, really get concerned that we are going to lose the art of listening. Because when you send a text message out, there's no listening involved. When you send an email out, there's no listening involved. Right. And we're going to lose the ability to communicate like you and I, where we're actually listening to one another and responding to what the person said with an open mind and open heart. And that's another whole subject matter, listening, because um, I wrote a book on that. The power of listening in a world of differences. Can I tell you why I wrote that book? Please, please. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question, which will help you understand why I wrote the book. Okay, so I am the product of public education in New York City. Are you the product of public education? Yes. Connecticut. What city? Connecticut. Okay. State. Both of us got educated in public education. We're in the classroom to learn. And in order to learn, don't we have to listen? Yes. Okay. Do you ever remember having a formal, structured class that taught you how to listen? No. Me neither. Me neither. I'm going to make a very bold statement, Bobby, and I hope someone proves me wrong. I don't think anybody in America or in the world had a formal structured class, formal structure that taught them how to listen. So here are some of the ways I've experienced people listening to me. They listen with assumptions. They listen with judgment. They listen with biases. They listen with mistrust. They listen to make me wrong. They're right. Uh, And sometimes they're not even listening. They're just waiting for me to finish so they can make their point. Yes. And to really drive this home that people don't know how to listen. Guess what, Bobby? I was accused one time of stealing my own sunglasses. I don't understand. How does that that happen, right? Yeah. How does that happen? Well, I'm walking out of a department store and two security guards follow me. And they said, I look at them and go, oh, is there something wrong? Yes. Those sunglasses. Now, I was very professionally dressed. I had the sunglasses in my pocket, my coat. I took them. I said, these, oh, no, these are mine. No, you stole them. You have to come with us. So I did a quick assessment. Wait a minute. There's two of them wanting me. Sure, I'll follow them. We'll sit down and they'll realize they made an innocent mistake and I'll be on my merry way. So I follow them into this room. They're still on this track. You stole them. And we have it on videotape. I said, videotape? Wait a minute. Now, I start thinking a crazy thought. I think, oh, this is a setup. They're going to make me sit down, watch this video. And while I'm watching it, they're going to plant a brand new pair of sunglasses in my bed. I'm screwed. I'm out of here. That's what I did. Now, Bobby, don't you think if I say these are mine, wouldn't you think they would take a look at the sunglasses? So, Bobby, ask me, Sarah, did they look at your sunglasses? Sarah, did they look at your sunglasses? No, Bobby. 
Their mind was made up. They were listening with assumption. Their mind, I was a thief. I fit whatever profile. You stole them. Common sense. How many people own the sunglasses? Come on. Yeah. They weren't listening. I see. They were listening with an assumption. A bias, a, a judgment. That was a great example um, of the assumption part. The not listening. Uh, I. This is another like weird Bobbyism that's come in the last I don't know year or so because I'm working on trying to be present and mindful, right? And listening is such a big piece of that. And if I'm talking to someone, like I'm anti-multitasking on all kinds of levels now. I literally know that's how I lose things. That's how I F things up. That's how I, it's bad. (laughs) So I, I just know it's not good. But it doesn't mean that if you said something to me, Sarah, my brain doesn't start, I call it the brain train. So, right. So you said sunglasses. So maybe my brain went sunglasses, beach, oh, the beach in Dubai, blah, 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 you know, like, and it goes on its own journey. Yeah. yeah. But I've gotten to the point where if that <laughs> happened, I'd be yeah. like, Sarah, I wasn't completely present. Can you repeat that? Oh, And it's insane. Good. Like the people that I are closest to me are now used to it. Um, but it's okay to ask instead of that yeah. head nod and um, yes. listening is to gain information and, and we need that information. That's, that's my soapbox on listening. <laughs> no, but you know what, Bobby, thank you for sharing that. That was beautiful. What you just shared, because I'm sure you're not alone. Like words mean something. And like you said, for whatever reason, if I said sunglasses and you start, your mind starts thinking of beach because the word sunglasses, right? And so you're absolutely 100% correct. Being present, fully present, is what allows you to really hear what the person is sharing with you. Yeah. And it's about having your mind and your heart open to receive the breadth and depth of the person's story, information. So that's why... Sometimes when we are listening to a really sad story, if our mind and heart is really open, we could actually break down and start crying Mm. because the story is so compelling and it touched our hearts. Right. Right. And, And listening is such a vital part of our life. Think about it. It affects relationships, family relationships, friendships, work relationships, And ultimately, it impacts the organization, because if people aren't being able to listen to one another, then it impacts productivity, teamwork. So it has all these ripple effects. And then you have a community. If people aren't really listening to each other, then you have divisions, which is what we have right now in our country. Yeah. So how do you have any advice on how to get so there's listening and in my in my example. I needed to have the self-awareness to even catch my mind trailing. And this is not like an overnight, you know, it happened. But do you have any advice or tips on you? When we went through the gambling exercise, it was, you know, why am I going there? And then that kind of opens a door. Um, So, so what's next do for someone, like, how would they, how would they get to the point where they know if they're listening with judgment or assumption or um, I'm guessing, I don't want to guess. How can someone no, no, tell no. if that's what they're doing? 
No, tell me what, what you're guessing. I'd like to hear what your thoughts are. I'm thinking, at least for me, it has to do with reflection. Upon, like the the end results will usually give me a key indicator. Um, I, as a boss, I don't like when people don't listen. Like if if I have to repeat myself when I know I said it because you were checked out, like that's a problem for me. So that's the end <laughs> result. Yeah. <laughs> so. But you know what? Thank you for what you just did. You said I'm. I know myself when I have to repeat myself. So, so as a boss, and you're not alone. There are probably some other people like that. So I would say, um, then we have to ask ourselves. So why is it that upsetting to repeat ourselves? Why it's just repeating? So the, what's behind that that makes us upset? Oh. Ooh. my first thing <laughs> that popped in my head this is a very interesting question is it an ego thing like if I'm speaking you're supposed to listen to me the first time then the second thing that showed up for me was time I'm, I'm I try to be very efficient so if I have to repeat um it it feels like I'm not being efficient especially if like one of the the textbook situation I've been dealing with most of my career, I'll put together a, an email with all the things you need to know. And when I don't know an answer, I always research it, right? So to get asked the questions that have already been given the answers to, I don't know. I I do get frustrated by that. I think the two two points you you said are really right on the mark is like time because we're in this fast paced society. And especially if you have a job where you're getting paid $125 an hour or $200 an hour, you're really conscious of time. So that's one. Number two, I would agree with you also the ego thing, meaning. So there's two parts to the ego thing. Remember, we all feel like we're valued when we're heard. But if you have to repeat yourself, then you're saying, well, how come the person didn't listen to me? Mm. Why not? Why do I have to repeat myself? Right. But we never know what's going on with the other person. So that's where all of this, Bobby, requires what I call compassion. Is compassion. And so this is the quality we have to cultivate constantly within ourselves, because we all have our bad days. Nobody's a perfect human being. You could be a great listener, but sometimes you might be off and that's okay. I mean, this is the thing that I always, always have to remind myself. So, you know, they say there are two guarantees in life, taxes and death, mm -hmm. right? What's the third one, Bobby? We're, we're, we're kind of <laughs> taxes, death. Taxes, death, and begins with an M. Not marriage. No, <laughs> no that's not a guarantee. I know, I know. You're so uh, no mistakes oh, oh i don't care if you won the nobel peace prize you're still gonna make some mistakes i don't care if you got the mccarthy award for whatever subject matter you're still gonna make some mistakes and this is what we have to remind ourselves that no matter what you are deemed an expert in we will still make some mistakes am i wrong no at all you see and so i think we have to understand that 
we have to have compassion for ourselves first, because if we don't, we won't be able to offer it to Bobby. Uh, I love this word. This is this is a new, I don't want to say a new word to me, but a new word that I started using at work. I started using it last November when things got really hairy and it was grace and compassion. And where it came in super handy was myself for when I was getting burnout, my boss when I didn't agree, like, and because I, I was training people who had the same boss and I'm like, well, just give him grace and compassion. He's not perfect either. We're not perfect. And then for the employees, and instead of looking for what's wrong, I started looking for what's right. If you start expecting what's right, then you get a whole lot more of what's right. It's absolutely insane. That's beautiful what you just said, Bobby, and you're absolutely on the mark. Focus on what's right. You get more of it. And I am coming up with a new concept about listening. I'm calling it conscious listening. Mm. Conscious listening. So it's not just about active, engaged, conscious, because people don't realize they have unconscious biases, which impacts the way they listen. So we have to do conscious listening. And in my book, The Power of Listening in the World of Differences, one of the questions I ask is, okay, so when you wake up in the morning, let's just assume you're married, so you have a partner, and let's assume you have children. So when you wake up in the morning, who is the first person you need to listen to? Yourself. Right. No, not everybody knows the answer to that. Some people, oh, you know, my spouse, my children. No, yourself. And do you know why you need to listen to yourself? I need to get my head on straight. This is a good example because like, this is why I'm, I'm a morning person. But if someone tries to take my, I need to be listening to them away from me, then it's, it's a completely different foundation for my day. Yeah, so the reason why we need to listen to ourselves, we need to kind of check where, like you said, where is our head at today? Do we wake up feeling angry about something that was left over from yesterday? Do we wake up feeling stress? Because if we don't understand, like, what space we're in, it's going to affect our whole day. Right. So you have to listen to the self and say, okay, what's going on with me this morning? Did I wake up? fresh and alert, ready to take on the day, to shine? Or did I wake up feeling stressed about something or upset about something? And what is it I'm upset about? Because that will color your day. Well, and that's a perfect example of how we can end up at the casino after work, right? If we don't check in with something that we're holding on to, um, resolve it, do whatever, It's staying there. It's not going anywhere until we address it, right? Whatever that looks like. And then it becomes a trigger. So that's a great, great point. Now you mentioned you have a listening book and you have two other books, right? Yes. Yes. I'd like to give you an opportunity to talk about, um, it's world unity, world unity. Okay. World unity. Yes. I would love for you to talk a little about what you do there and then your books and kind of like how it all goes together. Sure. Well, thank you so much. So World Unique uh, was founded in 1994. And the mission of the organization is to promote equality, diversity and inclusion by raising self-awareness through the sun poem Mm. and empowering and inspiring individuals through the arts education, 
and innovative ideas. So the Sun poem really has been the inspiration for all of my work, my books, the founding of the organization. And the irony here, Bobby, it was that it was written in a personal journal in 1978. And it was never meant to be public. Never. Wow. Never. What happened was um, I shared this poem with a friend who at the time happened to be a representative for a billboard company. She was so moved by it, Bobby. She put it up on billboards. My poem. Wow. All over Boston. Went from Boston to New York City. Billboards. PSA on TV. Mass transit. All over the city of Boston. Then it took off in New York City. Billboards. Mass transit. And the network, CBS and NBC Network TV, aired the PSA so it could be seen and heard across the country. That poem changed the direction of my life. Planted the seeds that I didn't realize that I had a deep passion for equality for everybody. Mm. And so my organization, uh, we have several initiatives, major initiatives, besides promoting the poem. And and I think I mentioned to you this in the first uh, meeting that the poem this year got put up on 60 digital billboards across the country. 60. Right. And so the poem is only 21 words. It says, are you greater than the sun that shines on everyone? Black, brown, yellow, red, and white. The sun does not discriminate. Mm. Can you get any more inclusive than the sun? No. And, And the beauty of this message, Bobby, no one in the world doesn't know the sun. The sun shines in everyone. This poem will impact future generations and future biases human beings might create. Yeah. Future. And so the poem also inspired a song called We All See the Stars and a wonderful program called Singing Equality Across America and Around the World. The song was performed at the United Nations by children. Oh. And the children loved the song. One, one person said, one student said, when he sings it, it makes him feel like he can do anything. We want all the students to feel this way. Oh program is free. I hope your listeners, if any of them are parents, that they go to worldunityinc.org and they see the song there because it's free. All the teachers have to do is register for it. And so the poem inspired this this first book called Five Minute Training to Empower You and Transform the World. So this book actually focuses on the poem and helps all of us have a deeper understanding of the impact exclusion can have on a human being Mm. there's a poem not a poem but a quote by mother Teresa that i came across that just leaped off the page for me i said oh i gotta include that in my book so mother Teresa said i've come to realize over the years that being unwanted is the worst disease any human being can experience being unwanted now let's think about this for a moment she didn't say cancer She didn't say AIDS. She didn't say leprosy. She didn't say heart disease. She said being unwanted. A person can be made to feel unwanted just by a look. A person can be made to feel unwanted by a comment or not being heard. 
I guarantee you there are millions of people across the globe who are experiencing being unwanted every single day. And we have no idea the profound impact it's having on the, their emotions, their spirit, and probably is why they have, many of them probably why they're homeless, because they feel unwanted. And so this book, uh, the Michigan National Guard ordered 200 copies, 200 copies. And Unilever, which is a global company, sponsored uh, 5,000 copies for a national conference. And so this, after writing this book, it led me to writing the second book about the power of listening in the world of differences, because I realized all human beings have what's called unconscious biases. We all have it. Nobody's a terrible human being for having it. It's called welcome to the human race. And so I realized, okay, if we all have unconscious biases, that's going to affect the way we listen. So I need to write another book about the power of listening in a world of differences. And that's why I wrote this book. Am I thinking about this correctly, that it's actually related that if you're not listening correctly, you're getting a message and you may not be unwanted, but you feel unwanted because you weren't listening to. That could be. That could be, yes. You could experience that because you weren't, maybe you weren't listening correctly. Yes. That could easily happen. Because you know what, what you just said? To me, what you just said would tell me that there's um, a wound in the person. And maybe something triggered up the wound so they weren't able to hear. And then it triggered up this feeling of being unwanted. Right. And so the key is, all of us have many different wounds inside of us, Bobby, all of us. And we don't, when we meet somebody, we don't know their wounds. We can't see them. They're all invisible. They're inside. Yeah. And so that's why what you said earlier about grace and compassion, that's what we need to cultivate within ourselves when we meet each other. Because we don't know what that person has gone through. And we're not perfect. So... I pray every morning and I always ask for forgiveness because I know I'm not a perfect person and I'm sure I fall short of the Christ mind or whatever. And so I just ask for forgiveness and but we just have to learn how to have compassion and patience with one, with one another. Um, and the listening plays such a key role in this. And when we do cultivate that conscious listening, it can really transform relationships work situations, everything, just by cultivating this conscious listening. Because with the conscious listening, I think you become more aware of how you're listening, like what you said earlier. Like when you said sunglasses, Sarah, if my mind went off to beaches, then I'm not present to hear the rest of the story. Right. So you were aware. You see? Yes. And then, and then the last book, The Key to a Fulfilling Life, um, as I said earlier, I thought this was going to be a book about professional development and how to make sure that recruiters don't eliminate a potential candidate because of their race, their gender. But then as I began to write the book, I go, wait a minute, self-awareness is not just for the workplace. It's about every part of your life. So that's why I ended up writing this book called The Key to a Fulfilling Life self-awareness which we all have the capacity it's up to us to cultivate it but the driving force bobby would be 
each person, they have to really want to work on whatever's not working for themselves. They have to want to say, you know, this isn't working for me. Do I want to get better? Yeah. That has to be the driving force. Does that make sense? It does. And that's just, it's, you asked the question in the beginning, you know, do I want to stop if we, if we were talking in the gambling lens? Um, So it's, do I want to do the work? Do I want the change? And, and I think the advocates of the world, like yourself, um, like so many of my mentors, when they're, they're asking, you know, like, do you, we have this one life, like we have, the world is at our feet and these are the tools. Is, is it worth it on the other side to do a little work? If it means you can hear your loved ones or um, do a better job at your job because you're listening or just appreciating sunrises and sunsets, right? Like it's worth it. It's worth it to do the work. It's worth it to be curious about ourselves. It's worth it to be self-aware in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, life, I mean, life is so precious. It's so precious. And each of us have been given the gift of life. Yeah. And it's up to us. What do we want to do? Because we're here for such a short time. That's it. Right. Is there anything that I forgot to ask you about Sarah, that you think um, we need to mention before we wrap up? Well, I shared with you that my poem on being, um, I, I guess I'll just share. There's a great quote by Ella Fitzgerald that I closed the book with. And she said, just don't stop doing what you really want to do. Because where there's inspiration and love, you cannot go wrong. Oh, and and for those of you who ever might have a bad day, which we all do, but sometimes we have a really, really bad day and the world seems like it's going to pots and it just, just seems very dismal. I have this poem that says, as long as the sun shines, there's always hope for a better tomorrow. Beautiful. I love that you're a business person and a um, creative person. Like that's that's a wonderful combination to have both of. Oh, and thank you, Bobby, for inviting me to be your guest. Thank you for the work that you're doing on yourself and having this podcast to empower others, because that's what we need to do. We need to help one another. We need to work together. I agree so much. Well, thank you for spending time with us today, Sarah, and sharing your story and your message with with the listeners. I know that Every morsel, every guest, every piece of information is going to land with different people in different ways. So it's really an honor to have someone of your caliber on this show. So thank you. You're welcome. 